0: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Titus, please. Titus, the second chapter, it's page 998. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats. As we continue to study, we find that this is a, a book that is often referred to as a pastoral epistle, meaning that this, along with 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, were letters written by Paul to young men who are pastors and he was giving them instructions on how to order things in chapter 1 and verse 5 paul said to titus he says this is why i left you in crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders into every town as i directed you and so obviously at some point in the time paul had been to the island of crete and uh, a work was started there uh, I believe that wasn't necessarily as a result of Paul's ministry there, but as a, uh, actually as a result of the the Pentecostal uh, experience in uh, Acts chapter 2 when uh, the disciples were preaching in, in languages of other people, and, and the people and the, their uh, geographic locations in Acts 2 are listed there. And one of them is the island of Crete. And so my theory is, is that after Acts 2, whoever was there from Crete uh, and heard Peter and the other disciples preaching in their own languages, took the gospel back to the island of Crete, and an infant church was started there uh, following Jesus Christ. And uh, after Paul's first imprisonment, he stopped by there and left uh, Titus there to continue to work. And one of the things that he wants to do is that the first thing, as we noticed is in the la- uh, last couple of weeks, is that there were some false teachers and... This is what Paul was warning them about. And so last week, we talked about how to spot a false teacher from Titus chapter 1. Now, when we come to chapter 2, there's, there's a change, a little bit of a, a difference of emphasis there uh, in, in what the pronouns uh, that Paul used. In, in chapter 1, it's a lot of I, and he was telling him what to do. But then it, it, it switches to you in chapter 2. And so there's a contrast that's happening there. So, picking up our reading of verse 1 of chapter 2, we'll read the whole chapter, although our text this morning will end uh, at verse 10. But as for you, talking to Titus there, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. But the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are, be, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We all face pressures on how we are to live our lives. We can't go on Facebook or talk with uh, other people or see television uh, shows that, that, that aren't trying to influence how we live our lives and what we should do and what we should value. Commercials have, have uh, uh, been targeting us for, for years about what we should make a priority in our lives. We deserve a vacation or we should buy this new car. It always strikes me as, you know, we're getting to the holiday season now, and, uh, and I was at the mall last week with my daughter, and uh, they're already putting Christmas decorations up. And so as we're walking into this Christmas season, I was reminded of all the different ads and things that I see. And one of the things that always strikes me as almost humorous is the Lexus commercials, as if it's commonplace for someone to wake up Christmas morning with a Lexus with a red bow on the hood of it. Now, that has never happened to me, okay? And if that has happened to you, I want to be your friend, okay? And I want to know who buys your gifts, and I want to be their friend, okay? It's, it's almost absurd that, that that's kind of like, oh, that's a gift that just happens, right? But we're pressured in all the time of how we should live this life, and what we should value, what we deserve. All of us face it. Where do we find orientation in this world? How how do we know what should be our priority? Well, what is it that, where should we turn to say, yes, this is the guide for us? Well, of course, you know the answer. It's right here. What strikes me is this is that all that we need, and this is what Peter wrote in his second epistle, he says that everything that we need for life and godliness, God has given to us. And so everything that you and I need, any resource that we need to have in order for us to live a life that God will be pleased with and to live the Christian life in the way that He expects us to, He's given it to us in His Word. And this text right here that is laid out before us this morning is a key text to you and me understanding how we are to live this Christian life. And so as we look at this, keep in mind that this is an imperative text for a very important text that we are to, to hold true to, to our own souls and to our lives. And this should be our guide, not culture. You see, because this is what was happening here, is there's a contrast there. He says, but as for you, he's contrasting something there. He says, don't go after culture. Don't go after the culture that you're ministering at. Go after something else. Follow the words of God. So Let's look at this idea of Christian living. As we're looking at this this morning, the first thing I want to share with you this morning is that Christian living really has two main schoolhouses. There's two main schoolhouses where the, the, we are to learn and know how to live this life as Christians. The first one is the church. You see, he's talking there, Paul says to Titus, he says, but as for you, and he's talking to Titus, and he says, this is what you must do, and he's contrasting that to the false teachers of chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. He says, there are many insubordinate, verse 10 of chapter 1, empty talkers and deceivers. And he goes on and he talks and describes them. He says this is what's happening. In fact, in some cases, in verse 11, it says that they are upsetting whole households. And so he's just described this. And now he says, but as for you, in contrast to what these people are doing, you must teach healthy teaching. You must give sound doctrine or teach what accords with sound doctrine, he says there. So the command there is to teach. There's only two commands in this text that we are looking at this morning. And this is the first one. It's this idea of, he says, you must instruct what accords with sound doctrine. And Again, we contrast this with the, the false teachers of chapter 1. They were empty talkers according to verse 10 of chapter 1. They didn't have anything that was helpful to the people. But what Paul is telling Titus, he says, you have what is helpful. You have what is needed. And you must give and you must teach what accords with sound doctrine so the first place that we look to is this place of the church. And we gather together here for because the Word of God is primary here and central here. And this is what we study and what we, we learn from here. And so the church is, is a schoolhouse that God has given to us to learn how to live the Christian life. Notice it says there, what accords with sound doctrine. He doesn't just say, teach sound doctrine. He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The idea here is what is it appropriate or what fits the occasion? And so he's saying you need to teach things that are fitting or that are appropriate to or that correspond with sound teaching. So this means that the teaching ministry of a Christian church should target practical outworking, not just intellectual knowledge. This is Paul's instruction to Titus here as he puts what remains into order of chapter one to verse five. He says you've got to teach them how to live. Don't just teach them theology, although that's important, but you've got to teach them actually how to live and how that is fleshed out. So this is a schoolhouse. So where we're at today, the church is one of the reasons why we are part of this and we've gathered together so that we can instruct one another based on the Word of God of how we ought to live this Christian life. And so if some of the teachers here give a little pastoral nudges once in a while, understand where it's coming from. It's coming from a desire to live Christian life lives that are pleasing to God. We're just doing what Paul has asked Titus to do. But see, that's not the only schoolhouse. So there's another schoolhouse where we are taught how to learn, or we should be taught how to learn and live the Christian life, and that is the home. This is the thrust of this text here. He's talking about the household of the day. The people that lived on the island of Crete, these would have been the components of the household. And it's very similar in most respects to our houses today. It's important that we understand that the whole household is included in Paul's instruction to Titus here, which I think is, is instructive because, again, in verse 11 of chapter 1, these false teachers were affecting entire households. It says that they were... They were uh, Uh, upsetting these whole families here. And so I I find it very interesting and and, and helpful that then Paul says, I'm going to give instructions that are going to help every part of the household. So the house is where we should learn how to live the Christian life, Christian homes. But you know, the, the question naturally comes up, what about those households that do not have the ideal situation? And that is very common. Very common A couple statistics that came across my desk last week was 35% of all children are living in single-parent homes. 35% of all children live in single-parent homes. Now, what what we have here in Titus chapter 2, we have kind of the ideal situation that's given to us here. What about these 35%? Another statistic, 41% of all children born this year will be born to single mothers. 41%. So the question that actually comes up is as we're looking at this text here is we say, well, how does this text affect these 41% uh, percent of the children or the 35% of the children? Well, the answer is the church. The answer is the church. This is the reason why we need to help each other out and, and we need to bear one another's burdens and we need to help one another out and, and provide some of this mentorship that is sometimes lacking in the home. We need to help one another with this. And so I I maintain and, and I believe fervently that every member of our church should be involved in some sort of discipleship relationship. Every member of our church should be involved in some sort of discipleship relationship. Think about that. And think about your relationships right now. Now keep in mind that I'm not talking about programs here. Because programs uh, don't last. I'm talking about relationships. Relationships is what lasts. And I'm not saying discipleship programs are wrong or they're bad or, or they're insufficient or, or that they're, they're, they're um, uh, not needed. But what I am saying is that it's a relationship that we need to go after. So if I was to put it up on the screen and kind of graph it, I'd, I'd put it like this. Is your name, put your name in the middle there there should be somebody that is teaching you. There should be somebody that is pouring into you, and then there should be somebody who you are pouring into. If we look at what we just read in Titus chapter 2, we see that there is to be people learning from each other and helping each other out in the Christian life. And we see this in church, and we see this in the home. And so you should be able to put names in those blanks there. I put the puzzle pieces up there as an illustration remember that we are all much like a big jigsaw puzzle here in the church where we need each other and if if one or two pieces are missing it's going to affect the entire picture so think about this whose names would you be able to put in those blanks who are you actively seeking a relationship with to learn from and who? Are you actively trying to instruct in the way of Christianity and to follow Christ? You see, I believe that in the home or in the church, this is where Christian living needs to be taught. We need to learn from one another. We need to pursue those relationships. And there's, there's two individuals that I consider mentors of mine that if, if I ever have a problem or if I ever need some advice on some things, uh, I call them up. And, uh, and they are always quick to, to help me and, and teach me. They're, they're older than I am. One is nine years older than I am, and the other one is about 15 years older than I am. And they both have walked. They're both pastors, and so they understand some of the, the things that I face, and, and they know me very well, and, and we're completely uh, honest with one another, and um, we have some very good conversations. But I, I go to them for help, and I go to them to, to be instructed. They're part of the body of Christ. And there are other people that, that are they're active on my radar. of Like, okay, what I'm learning from these guys, what I'm learning from the Scriptures, what I'm learning from experience, I need to pour into someone else. And so my point is this, is that you and I both have the responsibility to be in a discipleship relationship. So who are you discipling? And who is discipling you? That's the question. If this church is going to be a healthy church, if this church is going to be a vibrant church, a church that is growing in Christ, it's got to be with this, that we are pouring into one another. And the only way to do this, you've got to spend time with each other. You've got to be with one another. And you've got to, got to be vulnerable with, with some people sometimes. So these are areas where I think we can grow. And this is the, the place where I think what Paul is telling Titus, he's saying, listen, Christian living needs to be taught and needs to be lived out. And there's two places to do that, and that is the church and the home The second thing I want you to understand this morning, according to this text, is that Christian living is expected of every Christian. You say, well, duh, Jeremy, that just makes sense. You're just using the same terms over again. Christian living expected of Christian. Well, of course, if you're a Christian, you're going to live a Christian life, right? Well, no, it doesn't always happen. And so we need to understand that every person who claims the name of Jesus Christ needs to live a Christian life. And he goes and he begins to describe some of this. Now, we're going to walk through this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one because we just don't have time to really unpack every one of these words. So I'm just going to give you a high-level uh, uh, just summary of what these words mean. And these would be good studies for you to do, though, maybe on your own, if some time to look into these and, and, and look into more depths. And if you need tools to do that, I can help you with that. But well, the first category, and there's five categories that he gives in this text. The first one in verse 2 is older men. And of course he's going to start there because those would have been considered the natural leaders of society or of the congregation that he was at. And so he talks to the older men there, first of all, or he describes what they should be like. In verse 2, says they should be sober-minded. That means clear-headed, not given to extremes in behavior. We would call someone like that level-headed. So an older person, an older man in the congregation, Christians should be level headed, not given to the every wind of doctrine. And as we go through the category, in whichever category you find yourself in, start asking yourself, God, is this is this true of me? And do I need to grow in these areas? Dignified is another one there. Is the idea of worthy of respect or honor. The idea is there's what Paul told the Corinthians is that when I was a child, I spake as a child, but when I became a man I put away childish things. And so here he's saying the older men that the Christian life is that eventually you put away childish things. And you start living a life that's worthy of, of honor and respect. Self-control is another one. And there's self-control is probably a theme of all the categories here. Uh, it, it appears in either explicit form or implicit form in each of these uh, categories that we're going to look at here. And the idea of self-control is self-mastery in thought and judgment. He's able to, to uh, uh, withstand temptation. And of course, this is not talking about perfection here, but this is talking about the tenor of their life. Older man, the Christian man, should be someone who has learned self control. He'd say no when he needs to say no. Sound in faith and love and steadfastness. The way that's written in English, it says that it just makes it easier to read that way. But if you were to read it in the original, it would be sound in faith. And there's a definite article there. So we would just say also in love or sound in love and sound in steadfastness. The idea of sound has the idea of healthy or correct or accurate there. And so this idea of, and that's what is the same word talking about sound teaching. There or healthy teaching in verse 1. And so when we come to verse 2 here, it says our faith, uh, uh, an older man, it should be he should be faithful and have a healthy understanding of the gospel. And that throughout their lives, that their lives they've continued on in the faith and that they have a, a greater appreciation for the faith that they had when they were younger. This is the Christian life. And so men, as you are aging, as you are getting older, these are things that should be said of you. These are things that should be said of me. That you are sound in faith, sound in love, and a willingness to sacrifice for another because of affection or regard for that person. That you're willing to show love and care to other people. You've learned to do that. I think this is probably the one I see lacking most of the time is this last one, sound and steadfastness. We could call that endurance. It's The power to be steadfast. To withstand hardship or stress. Some of us started out pretty strong, and and maybe in our 20s and 30s, we were were doing well and and we, and we we were following after Christ. But then I've seen so many times as people get older, they get tired. And I understand that. I understand getting tired. But you gotta endure, you gotta follow after Christ till the end. You have people, you have younger people that are watching you and younger people that need your example to follow after. Endure to the end. Don't give up. Sometimes as we uh, we age and, and let me just say this and, and you know, I worked in senior care for a few years. Let me say this getting old stinks. Okay? It's awful. It's brutal. Somebody you say you don't even know what you're talking about, Jeremy. You're not that old. Well, I know enough to know, and I've seen enough to know that I, I, it's not something to look forward to. I do know this: at one time I could dunk a basketball, and I can maybe probably get touch the net now. Okay, getting old stinks. Okay, but sometimes when our physical, when in our physical lives we get old, sometimes and we get tired. Sometimes we also let our spiritual lives grow lazy. And let me just plead with you, older men here, we need you to stand firm and hold the faith. We need you to follow Christ. Because it's a great example to us. Now again, I, I don't want to preach a wrong message in saying that you just got to try harder, because of course, it's only in Christ that you can do this. I need to say that we need to draw our attention. We said that self-control is, is a theme of this text here. Let me just draw your attention to verse 12. It talks about the grace of God. and This will be our text next week. But it says that it's the grace of God that's appeared. And one of the things it does is it teaches us or trains us, according to verse 12, to live self-controlled life. So the life that you live and the life that I'm pleading with you, older men, to live this life, I'm pleading with you, the only way you can do that according to this text of verse 11 and 12 is through the grace of God. So bow before God, make it your prayer every day and say, God, may I finish well. And may I endure to the end. We need you to do that. So men, look at this list. Does this list describe your life? If it does, praise God. If it doesn't, then ask God to change. you. Ask God to to conform you to the image of Christ here. The next category in verse 3 is older women. I'm not going to make any distinction on what age constitutes an older woman. You can do that yourself. But older women, likewise, so along with everything else that's been said here, they're to be reverent in behavior. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Reverent behavior has the idea of sacred and the basic meaning is that women should live a life that is befitting to a godly person. So older women, you should carry a a distinct godliness about you is what Paul is telling Titus to teach there. Not slanderers. Speak the truth about others. Don't gossip. Not slave to much wine. This was probably the idea to self-control implicitly here. and This was probably a cultural problem in the island of Crete. That there was probably too much time and too much alcohol. And and the older women especially were giving themselves to wine there. And what what, what Paul is telling Titus, he's telling the church there, he says, don't bow to the cultural expectations. Aim higher than cultural expectations. And don't do this. And then, it says they are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Older women, be a teacher. Teach younger women. Younger women, find older ladies. And ask them to teach you. Ask them to, to instruct you. Ask them to help you. And this isn't just, just only to women. Men, we need to do this as well. But here, there's a specific application was given for women here. And he says, do this. Teach what is good. Be good teachers to them. I find it interesting here that, that the, the category given here uh, to Titus, he was told to teach the older men. He was told later on he's going to teach the younger men But the the category of young women of who should teach them wasn't primarily given to the pastor, but it was given to the older women of the church. So this is your responsibility. As you have learned Jesus Christ, as you have grown in your relationship with Christ, make sure you're passing it on to someone else. So pray for each other. Spend time with one another. You know, One of the things that we did this year is we, as the experiment was the Member Care Initiative, and one of the things was is to do just this, is so that we would try to encourage people to relate to one another and pour their lives into each other here. So women, look at this list. Does this list describe your life? Older women, are you, are you using the time that you have to pour into somebody else and to instruct them? You've gone through life circumstances that some of these younger women in our congregation that are just now going through, and it's scary to them. The idea of, you know, how many theories there are of parenting and childcare and education and all that, it's overwhelming to young moms and young women. Women trying to figure out relationships, trying to figure out all and navigate just life, and trying to navigate this world of of a career versus a family, or trying to do both at the same time. All these things, they need your instruction. At the very least, are you praying for the younger women in our congregation? See, this is the purpose of a church. This is the reason why we we, we exist here, is to help one another and minister to one another in this way. So this brings us to the third category, and that is younger women, and what are they supposed to do is love husbands and children. Of course, this is assuming that they're married. Now, the first thing is what's implied here is that they're going to learn from older women. And so the question to the younger women here in the congregation this morning is, who are you learning from? Who are you trying to, to seek advice from? Is it, is it a blog? Is it a website? Is it someone in the church? Who is it? My, my, uh, uh, my advice is to find a godly woman, an older woman, and spend time with that person. And now my experience with any type of mentoring relationship, and I think I started to say this and got away from it earlier, is that I, I had to pursue it. And uh, one, of, one of my uh, best friends in this entire world is also one of my mentors, is uh, a guy named Bob. Uh, he was the pastor that, that preached here at the installation service. Uh, when I came here uh, two and a half years ago, uh, we're best friends, uh, we, we are completely transparent with each other on, on everything in our lives, and I, I once said to him, I said, Bob, the reason why I'm still friends with you is because you know too much about me, okay? okay. And I said, "This is the only reason why we hang out with each other still is because we have so much dirt on each other. We can't let each other out of our sight, each other's sight. But God in His providence moved me to Wisconsin and Him to California. So uh, we're, we're trusting each other here that, that we're gonna we're gonna hold secrets uh, uh, that, that we've promised each other that we would. But you know, the interesting thing is, you know, he always kind of viewed me as just a younger brother. And one day." I was meeting with, we were meeting with a group of pastors and I throughout the term. I just said, well, Bob's been a mentor to me in this way. And I, and I gave the illustration on the way home, Bob said to me, he said, you know, I'd never thought of myself as a mentor to you. I said, he goes, I, I just thought we just kind of hung out together. I said, well, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to hang out. Every time he needed to go someplace, I said, hey, I'll drive. And, and, uh, and I would just ask him questions while we were driving. And I remember we were helping a church out about an hour and a half away. And uh, he was doing the preaching there. And I said, hey, I'll go and uh, run all the, the computer stuff for you. And I just wanted an hour and a half in the car with him, there and back, uh, so I can ask him questions. And we could talk about things. Like I said, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And and uh, over time it really began, uh, really developed into a mentoring relationship where he was pouring into me. But I had to, I had to go after that. I had to kind of hang around until he would he would teach me something. And you know, that was one thing he said, I never really thought about it this way. And I said, Well, that yeah, I just kept hanging around until he actually taught me something. And man, it took a long time, Bob. <laughs> you know, we laugh and and we 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 joke with one another, but you have to pursue those relationships. And so for the younger women, pursue those relationships with an older woman and, and learn from each other here. So what's implied here is that they first learn from older women, loving husbands and children. Again, this is assuming that they're married. And the idea is interesting that you would think that you wouldn't have to teach this because of the way the world talks about love is that you fall into love, Right? But any of us who've been in any type of relationships know that you have to learn to love. And you would think that even a maternal love uh, of of a mother to a child would would be um, instinctual in many ways it is, but there are times where mothers have to learn how to show, what is best to show love towards their children. And who better to teach them, not the pastor, but an older woman has gone through this. You see, this is why it's so important for us to live godly lives is because it affects more than just your own soul. We never sin in a vacuum. And so the fact that if we can continue in sin and we can be putting aside our spiritual disciplines and we can be putting aside our, our Christian growth, it's affecting more than just you. Some of us just think, well, if if I'm not going in Christ, what's the big deal? It's just affecting me. No, it's affecting the entire church because there are relationships that you're supposed to have to help one another out and point them to Jesus Christ. And if you're not doing that, you're not fulfilling God's plan here. And so we need to live lives, not just for our own soul's sake, but so that we can encourage other people. This is why we're here. And again, I need to always go back to the grace of God. It's only possible by the grace of God. We have to go back to that. So I hope you understand. I'm not departing from that theological mooring, but I am saying that we need to live out our lives as uh, Philippians chapter 2 teaches us. Self control, again, a theme of the passage here. Every person needs to learn self control. Pure, this is the idea of moral integrity. It seemed that the ladies of Crete were starting to fight back against their men. What had happened was, in this context, in this culture, it wasn't considered necessarily wrong for a man to commit adultery, but yet it was for women, which is completely wrong. So what was happening was that there was a sexual revolution that was happening during this time. And so the common understanding for young women was to express their sexual freedom, saying if men can do it, we can do it as well. Now, what Paul was saying there is he's saying, don't you know, teach the young women that don't follow cultural leading. Follow the Scriptures. That's what he's saying here. It's this idea of pure. Working at home. I think we need to be careful with this because this can bring up a lot of, of, uh, of different theories. In fact, I was in a situation not too long ago talking about this text, and someone used this text to prove, that, it, or in their minds, that it was wrong for women to work outside the home. I do not think that that is what is going on in this text here. But what I do think is happening here is that the priority of a young woman should always be their family and their home, whether or not they work outside the home. Because you can still work outside the home and yet still maintain that the family is the priority. You can be conscious of, of schedules and things like that. But the point is, is not whether or not someone chooses to work outside the home. The point is that for a young woman, the priority should be given to the home. And the reason why is because that is God's plan to best shape the home for the children to grow up in the nurture and admission of the Lord. So the home has to be the priority. And again, it doesn't preclude working outside the home. It's just a matter of what is first and importance there. And this is what the young women need to learn from the older women. Kind means good or gracious. Submissive to their own husbands. Again, this is another uh, one that is packed with a lot of of connotations or emotions. But the idea here is it's not any type of inferiority because Jesus Himself, let me remind you, was submitted to the Father. It says that Jesus submitted to the Father. And yet, we know from Scripture that Jesus was equal to the Father. And so there's no idea of inferiority here. It's this idea of function. And it's important to understand here, He's not saying the young women should be submitted to men submitted to her husband there's a big difference between the two there it's in terms of function in the home there and this is how we live the christian life and it has nothing to do with inherent worth so younger women look at this list whether or not you're married or or whether or not you have children look at what this text says and and is this true of you are you seeking relationships with someone else to help you in the Christian life? But see, the problem is many times, and this goes for not just young women, we're so independent that we don't like to ask for help. Be willing to ask for help. And let us not be afraid of being judged for that because we all need help. Now, the fourth category, it seems very short. And this is younger men. In verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men. Urge is the second of two commands in the text here. Very forceful in his writing. And so what he's saying, that what Paul is telling Titus there, he says, the younger men, you need to urge them to be self-controlled. Again, here we have it again, kind of this theme. Every group here talks about being self-controlled. Based on Titus' urging, what they're supposed to do is be a model of Good works and in the teaching show integrity and dignity and having pure speech and so these are the things that young men are to aspire to they're aspire to being a model of good words and becoming leaders in their situations following the example of Titus they are to as they have opportunities to teach they are to do it with dignity and integrity whatever speech that they utter it should be given in such a way that Someone cannot condemn him for it. I've shared this with you before that as a as a boy i uh I gave my parents uh, a run for the money in a lot of the ways. I was a pretty good kid in in most ways, but um, I was very persistent in some things, and I was not afraid to speak I wasn't afraid to to talk about something. I remember mom and her exasperation one day, said to me, Jeremy, you just have a really big mouth. Find a way to use it for God. okay? She was a Christian, young Christian mother who just wanted her son to please God in some ways. And the only asset that I had was a big mouth apparently. And she said, try to figure it out. A lot of times when we speak, particularly as young men, we speak in such a way that we regret it later on. We're not think we're not thoughtful about what we say. And here what Paul is saying to Titus, so that Titus should instruct to these young men and be an example of is that when we speak, we should speak in ways that are rooted in truth and scriptural truth. Sometimes it's easy to spout opinions and it's easy to hold fast to opinions, but yet and we don't hold them with humility. He's saying, No, you need to speak in such a way that's rooted in truth and so that people cannot condemn it. So young men, look at this list. Does it describe your life? Now the last category here it seems a little bit odd to us and our culture here is the slave or the bondservant in verse 9. You've got to understand that a little bit of background about slavery in Paul's day, it was not based upon skin color or race as we think of slavery and our embarrassing history as Americans. Slavery in Paul's days spread across racial, social, and national boundaries. A person could be a slave as a result of capture in war, defaulting on a debt, or being sold as a child by destitute parents. Maybe they were born to slave parents, or they were convicted of a crime such as kidnapping or piracy. Or sometimes people even sold themselves into slavery because they felt it was a better life for them. Not to say that it was always easy and it was all rosy. There were abuses in it, but it wasn't the same type of slavery that we think of in our own history. In fact, a third of Rome's population in this day were considered slaves. One-fifth of the other population outside of Rome was considered a slave. And so it was any service um, uh, industry. So even doctors and teachers would have been considered slaves slaves in this context so when we read this it brings up a lot of connotative meaning and i don't mean to completely whitewash it because there were abuses i want to make sure that's clear but it was a little different than what we think of here so what does he do now elsewhere paul he did in first corinthians he told slaves if you can get out of the situation go for it but don't make that your priority Usually Paul's concentration whenever he speaks of slavery was not on changing the person's circumstances, but rather on instructing them how to act as a Christian in whatever circumstance they were in. And so here he's, he's, he's including every member of the household, even slaves, of that they are responsible to live a Christian life. And so probably what he's referring to here is he's talking about slaves who were uh, slaves in a non-Christian household. The reason why I say this is because he doesn't address masters here as he does in in Colossians. So he's saying if you're part of a household and and part of this church in Crete and and the the owners of the estate are not Christians, how should you act as a Christian? As a Christian bondservant. He says us be submissive. The idea is to willingly place ourselves under the authority of another. Just understand that, that this is the place you're in and, and obey in such a way that is honoring to God. Well-pleasing work in such a way that shows that the supervisor can trust you. Work in this way. And we can make some parallels to our working relationships with our bosses at work. It's not a, complete, uh, a, a an even parallel, but this is some way we can make some application. Not argumentative. The idea is antagonism. Make it easy to manage you, is what Paul is telling Titus to tell teach the slaves. Not pilfer, pilfering. Petty theft was apparently common among slaves in Rome. So don't do that, he says. Displaying faith. Your faith is put on display in your relationships, not your ability to recite the apostles' creed. He says, How you live this out. Make sure, how you live your life, make sure that it, it shows your faith. So we've gone through these things and we could have spent a lot longer time with these categories, but the, the whole idea, the main point I want you to get is this, is that the Christian life, the living the Christian life is expected of every person. And so obey the Scriptures. Live in such a way that brings glory and honor to God because it will have tremendous effects. And that leads us to our third and final point this morning that Christian living produces Crucial benefits for our world. This is why it's so important. Is it does affect more than just you or your house. It affects the world. In verse 5, we see, and three times in this text, we see some purpose statements. In verse 5, talking to the young women, it says to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands. And it says, it gives the reason why. That the Word of God, May not be reviled. The idea is there is that God's word is substantiated when we live the Christian life as God intends for us to do. Reviled has the idea of blasphemed or slandered or or defamed, and so if we live the Christian life, it's giving credence to the word of God, and it's giving it's showing people that the word of God really is powerful and it can transform our lives. And so the application was specifically given to the young women there, but it can be drawn across all the categories here. Is that the word of God should never be reviled or blasphemed or slandered or maligned, because we're refusing to obey God's commands. And when we do that, when we call ourselves Christians, and believe me, the world's watching, and the world knows that, that, that the world knows what is expected of us, and the world has a standard for people who call themselves Christians. And when we don't do that, when we ignore the commands of Scriptures reviles the Word of God. Again, I've got to go back to this because I don't want anyone misunderstanding this. This is all the grace of God. Go back to this and say, God, I can only live a life pleasing to You that by Your grace and by Your enablement. And and that's not what's saving us. And I hope no one's misunderstanding that. Living the Christian life has nothing to do with whether or not I am trying to merit or earn salvation. That is not what's being taught here. But because you're saved, because you have a relationship with Christ, if that's true of you, this this is how it should affect our lives. It should transform our lives so that we live in such a way that God's Word is not reviled, that God's Word is substantiated. We find a second purpose statement in verse 8. After talking to the younger men, he says in the teaching, show integrity. He says in sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So Christian, one of the the benefits that our world needs is that God's opponents are silenced when we obey the commands of Scripture. When we respond in such a way that is counterintuitive and we respond in grace, and respond in speech that cannot be condemned because we're giving simple truths of God's Word. We're not trying to debate someone or argue with people necessarily, but we're trying to give them truth. Opponents have nothing evil to say. They may disagree, but they can't call you a hypocrite. They may not be persuaded by your argument, but they can't attack you and your character. Because of the Christian life being lived out by the grace of God. And then the last benefit we see in verse 10 is attributed to the slaves. That God's message is made more attractive. It says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is an amazing promise here. The idea of adorning has the idea of making more attractive or decorating or Putting ornaments on something. In just a few short weeks, many of us will put trees in our homes and then what will we do? We don't just put a tree there. We begin to put lights and ornaments and other things on it. Why? To make it more beautiful. To bring out the beauty that's already there. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying to the slaves that if you show yourself in good faith, if you work in such a way that is in accordance with with what Christ is teaching, not with what cultural expectations are, if you live in this way, that you will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That it will be made more attractive to other people. Because everyone expects us to bow to cultural pressures but when we don't and we live counterintuitive to cultural wisdom when we live according to the scriptures that is attractive to people because they don't think of it in that, that it's possible for themselves i remember when i was in college i was uh working at one of the jobs i worked at i was a uh a forklift driver where i loaded and unloaded trucks we were a third-party warehouse, and so we got all sorts of uh, merchandise that came in and, and we'd store it for a short amount of time or whatever and load it into another truck and send it on its way. We did a lot of international things because being Detroit right by uh, Canada, we would get a lot of shipments that were going to Canada. And so we had lots of interesting things that were happening. And so we would be in trucks and out of trucks all day long. There were three of us who were mainly responsible for doing this. I remember one of them was talking to me about my life. And I was going to a Christian college at the time, uh, a Bible major, studying to be uh, a pastor. And I, w- I was dating someone at the time. And uh, we had been dating for several years uh, through high school. And, uh, and so he was asking me about my relationship with this girl. And he asked me the question, he says, well, when was the first time you had sex? And I said, we haven't. And he looked at me like, you are lying to me. And I said, i serious. We, we believe the best plan, what God teaches us, is to wait until you're married. We think that that is what God has asked of us, and that's what we're trying to do. Not that we're not tempted, let me tell you, but this is what we're trying to do. And I'll never forget his response, because I didn't know what he was going to do at that point. I didn't know if he was going to make fun of me or whatever. He stopped and he said, I so respect that. I, I don't think I could have ever done that. Because man, I, my hat's off to you. And this text came to my mind of thinking that when we obey God, we may not always get the compliment. That's not the promise. But the promise is, is that the doctrine, the teaching of God is made more attractive to the world. And so we have a call before us this morning. The call is for every one of us to learn in the two schoolhouses of the church and the home to live a Christian life. And one of the benefits of that is that it will affect our culture and our world around us. So are you living the Christian life? I, I, I didn't ask if you're a Christian. I said, are you being obedient to what God has asked you to do? We can only do that through the grace of God. And so if you're convicted in this moment, you say, yeah, these are areas where I need to, to tighten up in my life. The, the application isn't for you to walk out the door and go home and try harder. That's not the application. The application is for you to go home, get on your knees, And ask God to give you the grace to be obedient to His commands. That's what I'm begging for you to do. And that's what I'm doing. Ask God to teach me to be a better husband, be a better father, a better pastor, a better citizen of of this area here. All for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so that the Word of God will be made more beautiful to those around us. You know, As I conclude, I'll just say this. We need to understand that the life has been defined and described for us, and so we need to ask ourselves are you actively learning from other people? Who are you seeking to learn from? Are you teaching others? Are you teaching others? How we live the Christian life will affect. The impact we have on each other and the world around us. Let us not bow to cultural pressure, but rather let us submit ourselves to the scriptural pattern laid out before us in Titus chapter 2 here. And I have to say, it always comes back to Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, I put it on the screen, it says this For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast we are His workmanship. If you're a Christian, you are a, a masterpiece that God is crafting. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Christian life is only possible because of Christ. And it is for Jesus that we live the Christian life. So let us go and spend time on our knees this afternoon asking God to draw us Closer to Him and more obedient to Him. Let us pray. Father, we need You and we need Your enablement for all things. I pray that we would live this life in a way that brings great glory and honor to You. And I pray that we wouldn't do this with depending on our own strength. I pray that we would go back to Jesus and understand that this is the reason why You saved us and you saved us so that we would live this life in a way that's pleasing to You and that that would bring glory to You and that You will give us the strength to do this. And so, I pray that You would reorient us this morning. No doubt, many of us have wandered from what Titus chapter 2, the pattern, has been laid out for us. It's not our goal to make people feel bad or feel guilty of themselves but it is our goal to point out truth and to allow you to instruct them in the way that you would have them go and so i pray that you would work in our hearts today and reveal to us where we need to improve and give us the understanding to that we need to go to you each day and go back to you and ask for your grace your ability your gift to live in the way that you would have us to live thank you for your word Without it, we would be lost. We'd have no clue what you expect from us. But your word is very clear. The passage before us this morning was very clear on what we should be doing. Now may we be obedient to you by your power. In Christ's name, would we do pray.